morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where it is you're listening. This is Dan Turchin, host of AI and the Future of Work, CEO of Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and executive chairman of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. You know, I love hosting this podcast because I get to learn from amazing guests every week. Sometimes we learn about technology and, well, other times we learn how to make fried chicken. And that's, of course, a hat tip to my friend Colin Fletcher. Now, today's one of those episodes where I can't wait to just sit back and listen. Tim Crawford's been at the forefront of introducing every new technology to employees as a CIO and CIO advisor for the past 20 plus years. He's doing a lot of thinking these days about AI and the future of work because, well, Every CIO is trying to figure out what it means to have an AI strategy. Tim's ranked as one of the most influential CIOs, and he's regularly quoted in the Wall Street Journal, CIO.com, Forbes, SiliconANGLE, and TechTarget, to name a few. He's also an executive coach who works with global enterprises on technology strategy. Tim hosts the popular CIO in the No podcast. If you're not already, please follow Tim. He's at T. Crawford on Twitter. And a special thanks to uh, our mutual friend Steve Kaplan from Nutanix for the, uh, for the intro. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Tim Crawford to the podcast. Tim, why don't you start off by sharing a little bit about your background? Well, Dan, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to have the conversation today and as you kind of are already articulated, uh, my career has uh, spanned a number of years, we'll leave it at that, uh, <laughs> across a number of different organizations, leading IT uh, company, leading IT organizations and companies. Um, the, the thing that I have had the opportunity to do is work with a number of different industries, number of different styles, number of different leaders, uh, and now I've, I've really kind of shifted toward still learning, but also applying that and helping others grow too. And uh, it's been a lot of fun and looking forward to maybe touching on some of those things as part of our discussion today. Now, let's start off with uh, maybe perhaps a softball. I know this is a big part of your, uh, your CIO coaching. But what is it that transformational CIOs do differently than traditional CIOs? You know, for a long time, we've talked about the CIO is the CIO is the CIO. And one of the things that I've always tried to understand is that there are different maybe classifications, if you will, or different styles of CIOs. And one of the ways that I've started to differentiate CIOs and kind of how they think and how they operate and lead is this concept of traditional CIO and transformational CIO. And several years ago, I put together a, a list of criteria that I thought really kind of rele was relevant to... Uh, differentiating between those two um, classifications. And one of the big ones is transformational CIOs tend to be very business-centric, meaning they're looking at where IT fits in with the business and what the business does, uh, as opposed to being very tech-centric. I mean, there are a number of other criteria and dimensions to it, but that's one of the fundamental things. Where this really kind of plays a significant role, especially today, is in, especially in the last year, even with the pandemic, is we have seen a significant uptick in the importance of the role of the CIO. 
And it's really important to understand how technology fits in with business, whether we're talking about customer engagement or business operations or how our, our staff are engaging, you know, as we shifted to a, a work from home uh, model. And so technology is more than just the bits and bytes or helping people connect to the internet or installing an application or keeping a system updated. Now it's how do we start to understand the data that we have on tap? How do we start to understand the characteristics of our customers, how our customers are changing, how our businesses are changing and transforming? And this is really where the transformational CIO comes about is it's not a technology conversation. It's a business conversation. We just happen to have technology at the ready in case that is the most appropriate way to, to address some of these core business problems. And so there are a number of different ways we can take this, but I think the core differentiation there is it's much more of a business-centric role. I often say that the transformational CIO is a business leader first that happens to have responsibility for technology. Now, AI is a technology, and yet I feel like it's safe to say even transformational CIOs are enamored with the topic these days. What do you think it is that even the transformational CIOs don't quite get about how to uh, integrate AI into their workflows? AI is confusing. Um, and, you know, the marketing around AI hasn't helped. I mean, we see everything from just, frankly, basic analytics to truly cognitive AI being labeled as AI and everything in between, right? Whether it's advanced analytics, machine learning, uh, first stages of AI or cognitive AI. I mean, those are all different steps along this journey, along the spectrum of uh, going from an analytical model to uh, truly artificial intelligence. And I think one of the one of the challenges that CIOs really kind of fight through is number one: how do I get through the marketing fluff to understand what it is, how it works? Uh, so that gets into what data do I use? What is the model? How does the model work? How does, how does this AI thing work? What's it going to do for me? Um, how do I start to drive value from AI or whatever it is that I'm being presented with? And then the last thing is, where in the heck do I get started? I mean, there are so many different places that you can start. It's kind of hard sometimes to kind of work through that if you don't have the experience to work through it and prioritize and understand, okay, here are the places that are going to provide the greatest value and I'm going to have the most success and be able to learn from what I'm doing. I don't necessarily mean learning from models, but learning how AI works, how that fits into my workflow for my organization. And so it's all of these different things together that create the problem for CIOs is how should they wrap their head around it? Well, I think the first thing is just jump in with both feet. Start somewhere, and you'll start to learn pretty quickly how to grow from there. So that's probably the biggest thing is it's just overwhelming, and they're not really sure what the value is that they get from it. You mentioned a distinction between machine learning, advanced analytics, and AI. Unpack that a little for us. How do you define the three? Yeah, so so I look at it as a continuum um, going from basic analytics, like you might do um, with a pivot table in Excel, to more advanced analytics. Uh, this is where you might build a degree of intelligence into it around reporting, to uh, advanced analytics and machine learning, 
where you're really kind of taking the data and again, adding a, an additional degree of, of automation around it and driving insights from that data. And then you start to get into the artificial intelligence ranks. And while everything gets labeled AI, to me, true AI is when that artificial piece really comes into play, where it starts learning on its own. And that's when you start to get to toward the end of that spectrum, the other, the opposite end of that spectrum, where cognitive really plays a role, right? This is like the human brain, right? We're learning about it. You don't have to tell a two-year-old how to stack two things on top of each other. They figure it out themselves. We don't have to train the two-year-old on how to do it. They figure out that a cup, and I, I have this physical model, if only we could show this in the podcast, but I have this physical model that I use with folks where I'll take a cup and I'll put it on the table. And then I'll take a, something flat like your mobile phone and I'll set it on top of it. And so if you put those in front of a two-year-old or a three-year-old or four-year-old, you don't have to tell them what to do with it. They'll quickly learn that, oh, it can hold volume. It can hold liquids. I didn't have to tell it that it has to hold liquids. It can make noise. It can bang on the, the desk and it makes noise. Oh, this is really interesting. These are the kinds of cognitive learning pieces that we just don't see today. And that's really kind of more science fiction because we really don't understand how the human brain works to be able to teach a computer how to do that. But I think that the important thing is even when you're back in the earlier stages of maturity around advanced analytics and getting to machine learning, there is still a phenomenal amount of value there to understand and, and drive insights play that into automation, and now you're starting to make quicker decisions that are more accurate, which is incredibly important for companies today. I think of the distinction as being the point when algorithms are used to automate the decision-making process for routine tasks that historically have been performed by humans, that's artificial intelligence. I completely agree with your definition of advanced analytics and even machine learning as distinct from what I'm calling AI. Does that definition kind of map to what you see in the, in the trenches? Um, what I see in the trenches is a lot of confusion. Uh, and what you call AI is different than what I call, which is different than the next person. I think that can be problematic if, if you want to kind of get in and mix it up on definitions. The important thing is that in all of the different pieces, we're using data, we're putting intelligence and automation into action, and that has some output to it. And so however you bring those diff the combination of those different elements together, that's where the value is. So whether that's as you define it, as I define it, I think that's less relevant than what we're actually doing, and more importantly, the value we're getting from that action of doing it. As consumers, we live with automated decision-making processes. They're ubiquitous. The recommendations that Netflix makes and what shows up in our feed and Facebook and what products are shown, uh, you know, are, are recommended to us in, in Amazon, they're, they're so commonplace that we don't think of them as being anything related to machine learning or AI. What are the parallels in the workplace where you think, either today or maybe in the next five years, just kind of, you know, the fabric of the enterprise will be infiltrated by AI, kind of like it's infiltrating our, our personal lives. 
Well, I think one area that we all can relate to is the travel expense report. You know, if you, if you could get recommendation engines kind of applied to expense reports, and this is just one of many examples, but um, just imagine you took a trip to Las Vegas. Great. Here's my plane. So it went from I left on a certain date, came back on a certain date. Well, I probably had a hotel in there, so I'm going to look for that receipt from a hotel on those dates. Boom, I'll just automatically put it in because I can pull that from the credit card information. And then I had hotels during that date. So great, I'm going to add them in there too. And I probably had some taxi or parking on either end in my home city. So let me look for day of expenses on either end of that. And so I think you know, being able to pull these different pieces together in that intelligence that a human would normally do. I mean, expense reports are, are the bane of all of our enterprise existence and have been for a long time. This is the kind of thing where, as you said earlier, taking the human out of it and being able to automate some of these functions is really important. If we know that in a different example, we know that let's say there's a storm coming up the Eastern seaboard and it takes me 48 hours to move all of my workloads out of a data center that sits in in Virginia on the eastern seaboard. And it's in the path of that particular hurricane. Okay, well, maybe 72 hours out or 56 hours out, I'm going to start moving those applications, assuming the hurricane hasn't changed path. I'm going to start moving those applications out of harm's way to another data center. I don't need a human to think about that, right? I can just start working on that right away. Or... Case in point, just the other day or yesterday, there was a fire in a data center in Europe. Being able to move those applications, we see a fire here. It hasn't affected the other data centers yet. Let's go ahead and move those workloads out of harm's way as quickly as possible. Those are the kinds of things that we don't need a human to to manage. Um, We can do the same thing for customers, right, in terms of customers walking into your store or based on beaconing and buying habits. So there are a number of different ways that AI and machine learning play a role, whether you're in manufacturing or oil and gas or healthcare or financial services. You just have to be a little innovative and a little clever, and you'll quickly find some quick value opportunities to, to kind of dig your teeth into. Great examples. They call the infiltration of AI into the enterprise workplace will be as profound as any of the big technological shifts, whether it was you know, servers to cloud or, uh, you know, the introduction of email or apps or smartphones. I think the, these kind of use cases, and you, you provided an excellent one, you know, the, the travel reimbursement uh, expense management process is the bane of every employee's existence. I think you're right. In five years, we'll look back and just marvel at the, the pain that was inflicted on us. <laughs> well, I mean, even that piece, Dan, I mean, look at travel expense reports for just a just another quick minute. How many times have you looked at a receipt and said, I'm going to spend more time in terms of value? So based on my salary, I'm going to spend more of the company's money trying to figure out how to appropriately put this expense into my expense report and filing that expense report than the value of that particular receipt. Well said. And on this show, we tend to focus on the bright future that will be created in the workplace by AI-related technologies. But there is a dark side. And curious to get your perspective on which are the jobs that are the, what jobs are the best candidates for full autonomous automation? 
And maybe, you know, to the extent there's a, a, a bright side of that, maybe just curious to get your feedback on the implications for uh, workers in roles that are likely to be automated. So number one, let me just be clear. I don't think there are a lot of jobs that can be completely automated today or in the next five years, um, maybe in some time horizon further out than that. Can there be functions within a job that could be automated? Probably. But then you're looking at new folks. You're looking at different um, skill sets. You're trying to understand uh, how you can maybe consolidate some of these efforts um, together. And so that's where I think the opportunity comes from this. From a dark side perspective, I think the, the bigger issue I'd be worried about with AI is not necessarily, is this going to take my job away or... Uh, replace me. I mean, I think, again, I think that's more kind of science fiction down the road. The bigger concern I have is how that data gets used. And when, especially when we talk about automation and decision-making and speeding that up, right now we have the ability for a human to look at reports and say, you know what, that doesn't look quite right. Or, you know what, this just doesn't feel right. We need to step away from it. It's not the right thing to do. Um, with when we start putting automation into play and we start talking about using AI and data and making decision making, uh, make the decision making an automated process, that's when we have to start being real cautious about how that plays out. And I'll give you a good example of this, and that comes back to bias. You know, how does bias kind of fit into your AI modeling? Um, every piece of data is biased, full stop. Every piece of data is biased. Now, you could argue that, well, okay, we're going to tweak it, tweak the model so that that isn't the case. Well, then you're inflicting bias from a different perspective. So any way you slice it, it's still biased. Um, and so you just have to be careful about what is the appropriate use of technology and where is it appropriately used and more specifically data. And how would your customers kind of relate to that or your employees? And so that, to me, is the bigger concern, especially within the, the near, the short and near-term horizons. Long-term, sure, maybe there's some science fiction coming, but not in the short to near-term. So you touched on the ethical implications of using your data to make decisions on your behalf and potentially on behalf of others. Now, there are simple cases like automating the process of setting the temperature in the conference room to your personal uh, preferences. Uh, pretty innocuous, right? Others like what if AI is being used to determine whether or not you get a raise, uh, whether or not you get a promotion. Where, how do you think about the boundaries between what are the appropriate uses of your data and how should we think about any kind of regulatory frameworks that should or, or will be imposed on, on enterprises using employee data to make decisions? This is a really great question, and it doesn't have an easy answer. And the reality is different companies are going to take different paths, and we're already starting to see that, um, some of which privately are are struggling with it, um, struggling with it in the context of they've tried to do some things and gotten burned by it um, without kind of mentioning specific examples or specific companies to protect the innocent, so to speak. But um, I think the, the big thing is you have to leverage the human guidance. 
when you make these decisions as to where to use AI and how to use data. And that is to say, how would I feel if it were my personal data? So if I'm the one who's building the model, I'm the one who's building that algorithm, deciding how it gets used, how am I going to feel if this data gets misused? So for example, let's talk about healthcare for a minute. I might be thinking, okay, in a positive situation, I would love to be able to provide my health data if it's going to help cure cancer or help with particular um, pre-existing conditions, assuming I had that. I don't, but assuming I did have that. Um, I would love to be able to do that. But what happens if that data then ultimately gets misused by my company to be able to say, you know what, you're a little more risky for us, so we're going to charge you more for healthcare premiums. Or the cost to have certain procedures done is going to cost you a little more. That, I think that that's a good example of where it gets a little touchy, where I might say, you know, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about that. And so it's not just, you know, make sure that you're thinking about it as if you were the one and it was your data, but also you have to think about this other word, which is incredibly important and coming up amongst executives as a conversation topic, and that is trust. How do you build trust? Build trust within your organization, within your company, within the culture, and also with your customers. And so that trust has to extend beyond just the products and the brand, but it also has to extend into the data and how the data gets used. And it's very hard to build trust and very easy to lose it. And so again, I would just caution folks you know, it's better to err on the side of being conservative than aggressive with this for that very reason. I think just, but that that being said, there's still just a ton of innocuous, um, great opportunities for enterprises to jump on today. The upside is boundless. I'm glad, I'm glad you make that point. We're in violent agreement there. Now, I've said before on this show, and I firmly believe, I think there'll be a time in the not-so-distant future when we'll, we'll scorecard vendors and enterprises using AI kind of like we rate the hygiene of a restaurant. And I think the kind of criteria will look something like, you know, is the AI being used in a way that is transparent? Is it being used in a way that's predictable? And is it being used in a way that is configurable in the case, it's uh, it's kind of going rogue. What do you think about that as a framework? Is that could we could we ever adopt that kind of a framework in an enterprise? It's possible, but I think there are so many snowflakes when you look at enterprises and how they operate. It would be hard to do in reality. I think a a more realistic or maybe even generalized way to look at it, and it's something that I've talked about for some period of time, is. We are quickly headed toward a place where companies that compete in the same space will be differentiated based on how well they use the data. Because remember that in any given enterprise uses a piece of data that is from their own self-generated sources, but they're also consuming a lot of data from outside of their organization. And guess what, Dan? If you and I are competing companies, we're probably both tapping into that same external data. So what it really comes down to is 
how well do we leverage that data to differentiate ourselves and advance our position in that particular industry market or, or how we engage with customers? I will take it even further to say that companies and economies, so go beyond companies to countries and economies and currencies, will all be differentiated at some point based on how well or poorly they leverage technology and ultimately data. Now, that's a bold statement to make, but if you play this out, that's essentially where we're headed without some intervention or some other factor that comes into play. The other thing I was just going to add, and it goes back to a question you asked earlier about regulation. So that being said, where does regulation kind of fit in? And I do think we have to be careful about how we leverage regulation um, and who is doing the regulating? Um, there, there needs to be some guidance around this, but we have to be really careful that it doesn't get misused and to a point of constraint that we just can't use the data. And in some cases, we're already starting to see some ramifications of that in certain countries and certain uh, jurisdictions where companies are just making the decision, you know what, it's just too hard. It's not worth it. The value is not there today. There's too much to, too much downside uh, that doesn't outweigh the upside. And I think that is a great example of a mistake. But when you start to understand the implications of regulation when it comes to data, whether it's things like GDPR, and, and it GDPR even needs a redo on it, or here in California, CCPA, um, you know, it's great to see some of these regulations come about. Unfortunately, the first generation of many of them, they're a little too general and not surgical enough. And so unfortunately, they sweep a lot of other things into it that constrain innovation and the opportunity for companies. So I would hesitate to encourage regulation, but at the same time, I think there will have to be you know, some degrees of regulation in certain areas. It's inevitable. And I think... Those of us who are out influencing the conversation or I should say catalyzing the conversation, I think are going to benefit because I think there's no doubt about it that to achieve the benefits that you and I expect to see in the next, you know, call it five years, it is incumbent on us as a community to come together and define some of those uh, boundaries. And we're bad ahead of time. I know it uh, feels like we're just getting started, but I got to get in. Uh, one, one of my favorite questions. I got to. I got to hear what you what you have to say for, about this one. Uh, what's your advice for a younger version of Tim? You've accomplished so much, and you know, uh, still, I'm sure, just getting started. But would love to hear anything that uh, you do differently if you uh, were to re rewind the tape. You know, I I've been really fortunate, really lucky. I've had a great career. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, technology has has really supported uh, my ability to flourish and be successful in many different ways. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, the one thing that I would say today, you know, if I knew then what I know now is instead of focusing as much on technology, I would have focused more on business and data and the customer, even as a technology um employee is, you know, even before I was leading organizations. So, I mean, starting to understand how my company 
works, how it operates, how its customers engage with the company, more than just what the average shareholder understands or what the average customer understands. I think that's something that that is incredibly important is to understand your company, understand data, focus there first and foremost, and then think about how technology fits in um, and not the other way around. Well said. Good advice. Now, uh, we're out of time, but uh, so much of these topics relate to things that are going to happen in the future. Would, uh, would it be okay if maybe when we finally solve that expense report problem, would you come back and, uh, and, and, and we'll, uh, we'll pat each other on the back for that one, huh? Well, only, only if you let me join when I'm sitting on a beach with a Mai Tai in my hand with the waves in the background, because I'll be long since retired by then. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope not. Or if that's the case, I hope it happens in the next 18 months. I would welcome that. Good stuff. Well, we're out of time for today, but uh, thanks again to, uh, to Steve Kaplan for the intro and, of course, to Tim for uh, a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Dan. You bet. Uh, Dan Turchin, host of AI in the Future of Work, signing off for this week. Back next week with another fascinating guest. <laughs>